food pantry or a soup kitchen. We do those things, but really to be activated in the community. But now we have to because we can't go into our buildings. So now how is the church? Who is the church now? And so my where I see hope is now maybe we'll get it. You know, now maybe we'll say, oh, we, you know, our building is great, but we don't have to be in there to be the church. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Missing Voices podcast. This is Justin Forbes, your host, and you're listening to an episode within the Youth Ministry and COVID-19 series. Our hope is to lift up the reality of youth ministry in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. You know, none of us were prepared for this. And so we've done the best we can to go out and find folks who will help us think well about youth ministry in this new, hopefully temporary reality. We will lift up signs of hope and tell stories that are just beautiful. We'll talk about practical tools that might be helpful. And we'll also talk about hard things, the challenges that we're all facing as we seek to live out our calling to love God, to love kids, Uh, and to do the best we can to be faithful witnesses to God's work in the world. So I hope this is a gift to you. I hope there might be even just one thing that you can use and take away from this episode that will help you live into your calling as folks doing youth ministry. Enjoy. All right, everybody, we have Reverend Akila Lagande on the phone with us here. Akila, are you there? Hey, I'm here. All right, good deal. Reverend Akila Lagande is an ordained minister in the PCUSA with a degree from McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago and is currently working on her doctorate of ministry from Louisville Theological Seminary. She writes, speaks, preaches, and leads all over the place to include Duke Divinity, Urban Youth Workers Institute, Youth Specialties, and the Princeton Institute for Youth Ministry. I'm giving you quite the abridged version of her bio because it's pretty impressive. She served as the Associate Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jamaica, Queens, New York, and is the Transitional Pastor at Far Rockaway Presbyterian Church in Long Island, New York, where she lives with her husband, Akila. Thank you for jumping on here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you bring us into your world and share with us a little bit of what it is that you see. How would you diagnose what's going on around you in the minds and hearts of young people, the minds and hearts of those in ministry? You know, it's it's a bit vague, but I'd love to just open it up and, and start there. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, you know, it's been a wild uh, five weeks. My friend reminded me last night, we had a little, uh, best friend happy hour time last night. And um, she said that she says, you know, we've been in quarantine for five weeks. And I said, no, that that's not possible. It's only been like two, right? She said, no, it's been five weeks. And it really took me a while to wrap my mind around that. Um, Mm. Because on one hand, it feels like it's going so fast. Like I wake up in the morning and then it's time to get back into bed for the end of the night. But another sense, it's gone so slow. Um, and I miss, I miss my church and I miss my people and I miss, um, I miss hugs from my little people. And, um, I think it all kind of hit last night, like, oh, wow, we've been in this for almost, this is like maybe today is a month exactly for us here. I think we started this quarantine March 16th where, um, like my husband started working from home on the 16th and, um, a lot of the stores and things started to shut down, uh, 
this week um, in March. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's been really interesting to just kind of watch this journey go along. I've said a couple of times that it feels like um, when you're on a roller coaster and, you know, like all of the ups and downs and the loops and you don't know what's coming, but something is coming. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. And then you get mm-hmm. off of the ride and you can't settle your feet. You know, that feeling of like, <laughs> oh, like where would I... <laughs> Yeah, that's ex- that's what it feels like when you when you get off the ride and you're like, okay, you're trying to grasp onto things and trying to like just get yourself stable. And that's what it yeah. felt like the these first couple of weeks. Like it's really felt like I'm not I'm not stable. I can't grab a hold of anything, and uh, I'm not too sure what today is. But it wasn't until Monday <laughs> where I was able to take my first breath. It feels like in five weeks. And that is exhausting. Uh, just so you know, I've been told it's Wednesday. I, I can't really confirm that. <laughs> um, I agree with you. I feel like, I, you know, I joke with my wife. I'm like, what are we going to do tomorrow? Oh, probably a yeah. lot of what we did today. You know? um, <laughs> right. Sure, let's do right. that again. And, and we'll right. do it again. Yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think you're right. There does seem to be this sort of haze um, of uh, around time and exhaustion and energy and trying to do things that are important. How do you think that's landing in the minds and hearts of young people or parents? I'm thinking, you know, within the context of youth ministry, we've had a couple really interesting ideas and thoughts bubble up around, you know, adolescents, but then also parents who are with their adolescents. Mm-hmm. How do you see mm-hmm. that right now? I mean, I'm praying for parents of adolescents, um, like never before. Um, <laughs> all of us should just do is just stop just, and start praying for parents. <laughs> just pray for them right now. Oh, oh, bless them. Um, yeah, I think that I know that there's like milestones like graduation and prom that a lot of the, the seniors are going to be mourning. But there's also some things that, you know, middle schoolers and they're not going to get to do that eighth grade graduation into ninth grade. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, little people going going into middle school or going into kindergarten or first grade, they're not going to get to say goodbye to those friends. But, you know, they'll have to go into a whole new school year without having that time. Right. And so I, I don't think it's hit them yet. I don't think it's going to hit them until maybe school's about to start back again. Um, but I think there's going to be this sense of, of grief for every kid, um, moving forward. Uh, and, and also, I mean, on one hand, I I thought before when this started, okay, now youth ministers and and kids, they're going to have all this time that they're going to get to do all of these things and kids are going to show up because they're going to be home and they're going to, they're going to want to see each other and they want to have something to do. But I haven't heard a whole lot of stories of that. I've heard more yeah. stories of, I don't know where my teenagers are. Like I send wow. out a text message or I say, hey, we're doing a, we're going to play Pictionary over Zoom. And they say, yes, that they're going to show up, but then nobody shows up. Wow. Um, and so that's, and I know there's lots of things to do at home or there's nothing to do at home, but for whatever reason, they're just not, they're not ready to engage. And I mean, I, I know our kids are online all day for school. Sure. And so, you know, at the end of the day, do they want to get back online, even if that means it's for something fun? So I I do believe there's a real thing such as um, like Zoom fatigue or (laughs) or, uh, that I never thought about before, but our kids can get it, too. 
Um, and, and there might be even a little grief of like, I can see you on the screen, but I can't physically be with you. Um, right. The novelty that, that of still getting to see people wears right. off when yeah. you, you realize yeah. I'm actually longing to be with you and to play with you, whatever. Right. Right, right. Which I think will be really interesting when we are back together again. Like, because for so long, especially in youth ministry circles, I've said it myself, I've done it, said it in workshops and seminars, like, all right, youth leaders, you have to learn, you know, learn where your kids are. You know, they're texting, you text them back. If they're on a, you know, um, what is the thing, Snapchat or whatever, like, let's, let's learn how to do technology because that's where they are. Right. Uh, but it's going to be interesting when we come back together, will the language change to like, okay, now get face to face with your kids because they need that now, like to be in the same room. Well, I, you, you know, you mentioned it a little earlier ago. You said, I miss my people. I miss my church. And I, yeah. I really identify with that. Um, I do. There is a part of me that says there is something pretty special about longing for the day that we can be back together to worship mm-hmm. in the sanctuary together. Uh, where like where youth group could be back together. I kind of wonder if there's going to be some special uh, reunions of sorts mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that we that that's an opportunity for us to really celebrate that we, you know, we no longer take for granted or at least for a while we won't take yeah. for granted that we can be together. Right. I mean, like that's pretty special. Um, it makes me sad right now. Cause I'm like, as a raging extrovert, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need <laughs> my people, you know, like, <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I I have two middle school kids. I have a sixth grader and an eighth grader, and all those things that you just talked about, I'm seeing like the Zoom fatigue. Uh-huh. Like they want to come, they want to connect, they want to go to youth group on Zoom. But my eighth grader the other day was like, I just kind of I'm kind of tired of it. Like I've already been on the screen a bunch, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I think I'm not going to go. Um, yeah. Which go just meant like literally like click, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah. yeah, and I get it. Like I feel his pain. There's there are so many, <laughs> so many Zoom calls and meetings and conference calls and meetings. And I mean, I'm no, I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually, I'm I'm a really good introvert. <laughs> and so at the, again, at the beginning of this, I was like, all of my introvertness was like, oh, finally a world where I can be myself. <laughs> And I have to leave and I could just, I could just be home and I don't have to do anything. And I, I secretly kind of feel that way, but I, now I'm, I'm starting to miss folks more. Right. Um, right. But I gotta be honest with you. The introvert in me is like, mm-hmm, this is where we like to live. This is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, wow. you know, we're doing it. We're doing it like champs over here. We are social distancing champs but <laughs> i do i do miss the congregation and i miss um i i, I especially miss the kids because uh, yeah. you know i've been in youth ministry a really long time and worked with a lot of kids and and families and so it's kind of my it's my love language and sure. so i realized um there were a couple years where i wasn't working at a church and i realized how much i missed just young people in general, like just being in the same place with them. And, uh, and so now knowing that they're going through, you know, going through things and we just can't physically see each other is a lot, you know? So even my introvert self misses being around, (laughs) being around the kids. Even the introvert misses it. Back to your, uh, back to your metaphor of being on the ride and like having to get off the ride with your, to settle your feet. 
I really do think you're right about the fact that there's going to be a lag on how this is expressed and processed and experienced. And so, you know, whenever that day comes, when we consider we're back to normal, whatever that means, like, I, I don't even know how that's going to play out. And that's a yeah. different sort of speculative conversation. But I, I do wonder if it will be months later that people start to realize the sort of toll that was taken on them um, or the cost that they encountered. And, and some of that is very profound and, and easy to name, not easy to deal with, but easy to name in terms of lost jobs and the economic impact or lost family members or lost, lost friends and lost loved ones. Um, but how do you imagine right now, like what does pastoral care look like right now as we're still on the ride? Like we're not even trying to get our feet settled yet. Like this is yeah. the ride. Um, I mean, on some level we can settle into this as a sort of new normal, at least for a while. Um, but there is going to be some time where this is behind us. And things will go back to some version of normal. What does pastoral care look like in the meantime? To be honest with you, I have struggled the past five weeks um, with pastoral care. Just, I mean, there's I'm, there's a lot that I'm trying to work through just for my own self. Um, and then trying to figure out, number one, how, how to reach folks and what they need is a lot harder. I am blessed to have a good number of deacons and elders at the church who have been fantastic. They've mm. just been really, really great in helping to reach our congregation. It's not a big congregation, but you know, it's enough folks for me where I can't do it by myself. And so mm. um, early on, very early, about that first week of quarantine, um, I started to put together a strategic plan for us. And so um, as a consultant with Ministry Architects, it's just all of my worlds have come together and it's just a blessing. So all the things that I've learned about strategic planning, I put into place immediately um, the first yeah. week. So I had a whole plan of like, okay, this is, this is, this is where I know I'm going to need some help or maybe not the strongest part of, of who I am. And, and this is where I'm going to need y'all to, to really help me out. And one of those places was pastoral care. And so every elder has a responsibility and all of our deacons have been kind of deployed out to make sure mm -hmm. that members of the congregation have what they need. And so then mm -hmm. my job um, from where I sit, from where I see it, my job is to really take care of them. So I'm taking care of the leaders as they help to take care of the congregation. And I do some bigger congregation things like in worship and throughout the week. I did devotions every day last week. So I'm mm -hmm. doing those kind of things as pastoral care, but really mm -hmm. kind of empowering the leaders and give them agency to go and do this, like go care for the congregation and then let me care for you. So checking in with our leaders quite regularly mm -hmm. um, where it gets, um, where it breaks my heart is because there's a lot of members who have family who are, you know, who have the virus, who are in the hospital. Um, we haven't had a lot of deaths close to home, uh, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of sick folks. And so, um, mm. you know, just checking in with them. And this congregation is really good because they know, they know how to get to me. So if somebody's grandma or uncle or brother or whatever passes away or they go to the hospital, they let me know right away and then I, I can um I can contact them and check on them. Um, right. we did have a we did have a member who passed away, not because of the virus, but during this time. And it was really hard because I knew that we wouldn't be able to give her 
the funeral we wanted to or a funeral at all. Right. And so I had to think really fast on my feet to figure out how do we care for this family? Also honor this member of the church who's a member for maybe like 40 years. Um, How do we honor her? How do I help the congregation to not feel like, you know, they, they didn't honor her. And then how do we, how do we love on the family? And so um, this was last week and her family's older. So like the younger folks in her family were really worried about the, you know, the seniors in their family about being out. And so we came up with this idea uh, that there would be a very short viewing because, you know, they wanted to see her. And then, mm-hmm. and then I did everything from my car at the cemetery. So they had a conference call number and I followed the hearse and the casket with them. And we all stayed in our car wow. and I did a service from the car as we, we, we watched her be buried. Um, and so I was, I was worried about that. Cause I was like, you know, how does the family feel about this? How, how's the church, you know, <laughs> do they feel like we did enough? And what I heard from the family was, thank you. Like you gave us a chance to be there. And right. um, there were family members who weren't in New York who were able to call in and they said, okay, like we felt like, felt like we wow. got a chance to kind of be with our family. And then the congregation was just great um, saying, yeah, when we come back together, we'll have a beautiful memorial. But for now, this is what we could offer. So just trying to find new ways to do pastoral care is exhausting. Yeah. And I know for Ooh, a, yeah. a, a lot of uh, pastors, I mean, I think what's happened over the past couple of weeks is that my heart for leaders has gotten bigger. And so like the strain that this is putting on the leaders giving the pastoral care or the youth leaders trying to get youth group going, like that's, Above, I mean, like on top of everything else, right? That's another heartbreak. Like my kids aren't showing up or I have to figure out how to do a funeral or making the decision to not do anything um, because you can't, because you can't go anywhere. Right. Um, and so I, it's, I think it's causing leaders to think quick on our feet about how pastoral care has to change during this time. And then what's going to be, like you said, this is going to be over one day. So right. then does this does this now change the way we do pastoral care? Um, mm. Is this changed now the way we do uh, leadership development? Um, I think so. I think mm. so. I'm not completely sure how, but I think so. <laughs> yeah. It seems like you are pushed back into the core of, you know, what is important? What are the sort of foundational principles here what does it mean to honor this person and to remember them and to give thanks to god for them um what would you be able to articulate like what were some of the sort of orienting principles or core theological principles that shaped your imagination about how to move forward i mean it's super practical right i mean like you're Mm -hmm. talking about uh, we have some constraints and limitations, but those constraints actually, I think, reveal what's most important. Mm-hmm. So, how does that yeah. how does that land for you? I think for me, um, it all really centered. I, I don't know if this doesn't sound corny, but it it all really centered around love. I mean the mm-hmm. the the love that um, not only that I had for the woman who passed away, but just the love for this community that we get to be a part of. And so 
Mm. Um, my husband worried a bit about me because he said, oh, I don't, he does not want me to leave the house. Like I can't do anything. Um, but mm -hmm. he said, I know if you go, you're going to want to like be with people. I know if you yeah. know, so I'm an introvert, but, but if I have to be an extrovert, I can't. <laughs> if I have to like do the things, I can turn it on. And so he said, I know if you leave this house and if you get there and they're upset, you're going to want to go to them. And I said, I promise I'll behave myself. I'll do what I said I do and I'll stay in the car. Um, right. But there is from the very beginning, I just, there was this love. Um, hmm for for her for her family i mean i don't know a whole bunch of them for our church for our community and i knew that they loved her and wanted to have some kind of representation you know mm -hmm. um therefore and i knew her love for the church and i think that was a big part of it for me is that mm -hmm. she didn't have any children like the church was her and she said it so many times to me like the church is my family this is oh, my wow. place like this is where i get everything I need. And even in the midst of her illness, in the midst of like things that went on in her, in her life, she said church was always the place that yeah. she like, she always came back to church. And so I, I could hear that saying, well, I can't leave her. I won't leave her now. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that uh, now. If we were that, if we were that place for her in life, I want to be that place for her in death and be yeah. there as much as I can. Right. Well, you know, making sure I'm not putting myself or anybody else at risk. But sure. how can we how can we love her even now um, and show the family that not how much we love, you know, mom or auntie or sister, but how much how much how much love just means in our community. And, and we want to love on you. So I think for me, the, the really basic foundation of all of it was love. Yeah, and I wouldn't call that cheesy one bit. I mean, like the 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 tension right now with what it means to love our neighbor or to love one another is, I, I think it's just incredibly profound that we have to retranslate that through our context, through this time and this place, and 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 all of the sort of weird intricacies of what that means, you know. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But man, like what a that's a powerful orienting principle, right? I mean, that is a, yeah. that is a good North star, a solid center line. Like these are the things that uh, we want to be with you. We want to show love. We want to honor. We want to thank God. Uh, and we're going to figure out how to do that. And I imagine that that's exactly uh, the tension that youth workers are feeling all the time right now. It's mm -hmm. like, well, what does it mm -hmm. mean to be together? How do we, how do we let kids know they're not alone? I mean, I was on the phone just the other day um, with someone who's a social worker and, uh, you know, you, you may not know this about me or, or our family, but we're foster parents and have been deeply connected and shaped by the foster care community mm -hmm. for a number of years now. And, um, you know, like there are a lot of kids right now who going home is not safe. You know, that's not right. a safe place to be. And yeah. the uh, we just got the sort of the data um, uh, from the state of Florida, at least, that calls for domestic abuse and violence uh, around, around kids has been down over 50%. It's down about 53%. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that's wonderful. Well, no, what that means is that the people who normally are sort of like bird dogging those moments, like they see the thing happening and they report it, the mandated reporters, they're not in proximity to the young people who are in danger. Right, right. Um, and so there's this sort of 
swell that is building that all of the foster care system in the state of Florida is preparing for, uh, that when we all go back to normal, quote unquote, or when they go back to school in the fall, there's going to be a wave of reporting that we have to prepare for, which is sort of parallel to that pastoral care that we talked about, like the sort of lag effect of pastoral care. Um, and so, man, like wrestling with, well, how do we be together with kids who maybe aren't safe or uh, kids who going home is not good news, and yet we can't be together? Like we have to figure out what does it mean to love those kids? Um, yeah, that just made me sort of keenly aware of that, that these conversations are intersecting in different ways. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So what, I mean, these are some of the challenges. What do you see, gosh, and part of your story is already sort of a picture of what, uh, you know, evidence of hope, but what do you see as signs of life or resurrection moments or, or hope-filled moments in the midst of all of this craziness? I preach a lot about the church not being in the four walls. It's how I grew up. I grew up in a, a church in Dayton, Ohio, where and I thought every church was like this, like it's very community um, <laughs> led and just like everything we did was surrounded by community. And I thought, mm. well, yeah, this is how church is, right? Like every mm. church does this. And then I got older and I left, I left Ohio, I left Dayton. And I was like, nope, every church is not like this. <laughs> but and so I've kind of made it a mission um, in churches that I've, I've been in. I've been blessed to be in churches who get it that the church is not the four walls. It's not our stained glass windows. It's not yeah. our pews. I'm Presbyterian, so there's a lot of stained glass windows and a lot of pews. A lot of pews, um, yeah. It's a lot of pews. Uh, and and it's a lot of like really beautiful buildings that sometimes I think our churches get really comfortable in. And they yeah. think, eh, you know, well, we have our food pantry, our soup kitchen. We do those things, but really to be activated in the community. But now we have to because we can't go into our buildings. So now how 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 do we how how is the church? Who is the church now? And right. so my where I see hope is now maybe we'll get it. You know, now maybe we'll say, Oh, we you know, our building is great, but we don't have to be in there to be the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we there's we've the at Far Rockway we've started to uh, we're a part of a community organizing group, um, which is something that and I've been there for two years. At the beginning of my two years, I introduced it to them. Like we can get into the community and do outreach and organizing so we can help with the needs, but also we can get to the root of the problem and try to help change the systems. And right. at first they were kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But then they say, yeah, they say, yeah, sure. We'll give it a try a few months ago. But now we get to put that into action during wow. this uh, COVID-19. And so we've been able to, um, not just do our food pantry, which we do every week, but we're, we're trying to get to like the, the root of some of the problems. And so, uh, like, uh, here in New York and, and across the country, um, communities of color, there are not a lot of testing sites, for example. Right. And right. so we just so happen to be a church in the middle of a community of people of color. And so, um, in the middle of, you New know, York. we could, in the middle of New York. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, a church. So now we have this uh, opportunity to get a little deeper than um, giving food. Now we can get a little deeper to like, OK, they're not paying it, the, the communities of color any attention. 
where along with like 400 other churches in New York City are able to to call out to our governor and to our mayor and say, here are four of or 400 faith-based institutions and health organizations who, with a lot of people of color saying, here we are, we're willing to help. And here are the people you need to to be helping. So we're like waving our hands wildly for our government to see us. And they would not have seen us if we weren't doing community organizing and community outreach. And so that's a a lot of bits to the story. But I think the, the hope is that now our churches will see that we are the church, even without a building that we yeah. belong in the community and and getting really deep into the to the roots of what our community is going through. I think that for me makes me so excited um, right. that when this is over, we won't fall back into, oh, now we've got our building, close those doors, we're done. Um, but that I think folks will say, oh, this is what it means to be the church and what it means to be a church in community. We cannot hide behind fancy buildings and we can't hide behind beautifully well-produced services or anything like that. Uh, The question now is like, what actually matters? I think we've been uh, led into this time where it has been stripped down to the core. Um, Like you said, like, what does it mean to love your neighbor and to like honor people when they die? Or what does it mean to make people feel like they belong and they're, they're connected. And uh, even just the thought of your, your deacons and elders, like activating and, and owning it. I mean, that alone is an incredible uh, sort of sign of the resurrection. I mean, this is new life, right? Happening right before your eyes to where it's not just Aquila trying to lead something. It's an entire community sort of using its gifts and flexing to to carry and and care for one another. So I wonder what that means in the context of youth ministry. We can't hide behind our, you know, separated group of you know sixth through eighth graders on a wednesday night um right now and we have to reimagine what youth ministry looks like Hmm. yeah i i think also um i think we have to reimagine like the role or the where where kids are in the life of the church and so i i mean what i've loved seeing over social media is like um, as soon as the word came out that if you're, what was it, 60 or over, um, you can't, you shouldn't be out. And I mm-hmm. love seeing like young adults and young people come to the rescue and say, all right, where do we, like, where do we step in? Where do we, where do we help? There's a organization in Far Rockaway of young adult um, fraternity and sororities, black fraternity and sororities. And um, the young man who runs it has been doing an incredible job. His name is Curtis Rentis. And he's been doing a great job of doing like community organizing for for about the past two years or so, um, mm. like really heavy in it. And so when 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 this started to happen, he um, he said, "What do you need? Do you need some help?" I said, "Yeah, we wow. got a food pantry that's run by a lot of sixty and older, and 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 we need some hands." And he was like, "I got you for the however long we're in this quarantine, we're going to be there." And they've come every week to help wow. distribute food. And so there's been this this really beautiful partnership between our older women who make sure that the food um, is packed up and ready. And then his team comes in on Saturday and they distribute it out. And so he sent me a picture on sat uh, from this past Saturday and he got them, he got friends to make food 
And so they had meals prepared. So not only were folks getting canned goods and, you know, non-perishables, but they also got a meal to take home with them at, from this young man who organized it, um, this young adult. And so I think seeing like glimpses of intergenerational things that are happening, but Mm -hmm. also just how young people are stepping up. And I think youth leaders will have to ask themselves even more than we did before, um, how do we get young people to really be activated in the community and the church in real tangible ways? Because I think that's what kids want. Youth group is great and like going to Six Flags and stuff like that, that's wonderful. But I really think that um, I think that young people want to do something to make a difference. They want to put their hands on something. And right. I think youth leaders are really like this is the time they can do it. Even if it's our Sunday school kids are making cards to give to the police officers and like grocery store workers and seniors in yeah. the congregation. But, you know, like what are what are real life tangible things? I think youth leaders are going to have to rethink what service and community means even for our young people. And then how do we activate this? Because they're going to be ready to do something when this is over. They're going to be ready to lay their back together, you know, taking a missions trip to Haiti is wonderful, but the real mission is going to be at home. It's going to be on the block. There's going to be more hungry people. And um, I think there'll be an opportunity for a different way to think about missions when, when youth groups come back together. I love the idea of young folks saying to the church and to older folks in the church, uh, we got you. Like, we got mm-hmm. you. We'll do it, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. then they'll, they'll take, not only take the pantry, but go further, right? Like, they'll, yeah. they'll make, they'll do the extra meal as an idea because that's yeah. theirs now. Like, I, I just love right. that image. I wonder what that would look like in different congregations for, um, for young people to, um, Imagine like how even right now, like not even waiting till it's over, but right now, what does it look like for us to serve the church, to uh, express our love for the church? I mean, that's, uh, you know, we've been sharing these little videos um, from different families in the church and and trying to help people just see one another. Right. I mean, just just yeah. for the sake of belonging and feeling connected and um, our college group um, prayed a psalm over the church uh, on like a psalm mm. on a Zoom video. And just even that, I was like, man, I love this. Like, this is the yeah. college students sort of leading the church uh, in a prayer. And what a gift. And it was, you know, that's low-hanging fruit right there, you know. Um, but what would it look like for young folks to say, we got you to the church? I love that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about um, any practical tools that you have seen uh, really be helpful in this time. And I mean, obviously everyone's living on zoom, but, um, anything practical by way of getting organized or, or time management, or, or just even the fact that we need to embrace our own limitation right now, like that sort of tension, anything in there that's practical that you think might be helpful to folks? Yeah. So, um, like I, I said before the, one of my glimpses of hope has been prayer. And um, I would love to say that I am like a prayer guru and that I do it really well, but I am not. Um, But I had a friend who um, introduced me to an app called Pray As You Go. And it's been a great, it's been a really great blessing. 
Um, I have the attention span of a noodle sometimes. And so uh, I need things that are kind of quick and that hold my attention. And this app has been just fantastic. It's maybe 13 minute prayer with a little bit of music and like this meditative kind of um, way about it. And so I turn it on in the morning and I just take a minute to pray. There's scripture. There's usually like somebody singing, but it's, it's a, it's beautifully put together. Um, and so I think, I think, uh, especially for leaders, youth leaders and pastors and anybody who's leading anything right now, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's an extra weight, right? For parents, there's this extra weight for teachers. There's actually essential workers. There's this extra weight. And so I think we have to take care of ourselves as we're taking care of other folks. And so, you know, the the Pray As You Go app has been really helpful to help me help me stay centered. I think just finding space to be. And I know if you have kids in your house, that's really hard. But, you know, you got to shower sometime mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> go in, turn the water on, don't even get in, but just let them think you're in the shower. But there's got to be a moment, I think, for everybody. I heard someone say that their moment is just they sit in the car. So they're not yep. going anywhere. They just go in the car and they sit in there and they take a cup of coffee and they're just sitting there for like 15 minutes. Somebody said they sat in there for an hour, but you know, they sit in there <laughs> for as long as they can. I think those are the kind of practical things that we're going to have, like people have to do during this time. I think our kids yeah. have to have a moment where they're not on the screen, where they're yeah. not, you know, they're not trying to produce anything. I got very anxious at the beginning of this quarantine because I heard so many people saying what they were going to do during this time. Like, Ugh. I'm going to write, I'm going to finish that book. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to lose all this weight. I'm going to do all these things. And I felt myself getting like really, really anxious. Like, Oh, well, what was my plan? If I don't come out of this with something that I've produced, am I a failure? Right. Like, did I totally mess up? And then I, you know, it, as as I'm praying more these days, I've really heard in my spirit, like, nah, you just if you can get out of this saying, you've won. You are a winner. <laughs> if you can get out of this and and not have like smash things up in your house, you have won the quarantine. A reasonable low bar. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, I have gotten over the fact that I have to come out of this and be totally toned because I've worked out every day. But yeah. if I can take a walk a couple of times a week that I got outside and saw the sunshine, like that's good enough. So like, my practical advice is very simple, you know, getting outside letting your kids run around the backyard, sitting in the car for a minute, but all of it really praying, all of it really centers around just taking a moment and breathing. Um, right. Like I right. think there's a, there's a, there's, there is a blessing. There's a sweet spot in being quarantined is that, is that you can take those moments, or at least I hope you can take those moments. Um, sure. uh, and if not, you know, maybe there's a family meeting that needs to happen to say, all right, everybody. <laughs> You know, for 15 minutes at seven o'clock, everybody's going down. You can do whatever you want to, but there's no screens. There's no noise. I I think that's going to be helpful because there's so much that's happening around us. Um, Staying away from the news has been very helpful to my soul. Um, 
oh to not gosh. watch like the numbers go up or like different opinions. I just, I've learned so much about myself and like what my brain and my heart can handle when it comes to social media and news and, and everybody's advice. Um, <laughs> and I can imagine that's a, that's a lot of people in the world right now. It's just, there's a lot and it will make you anxious and it'll make this much worse. Um, right. having all of that noise coming at you. So, you know, practically speaking, I think some silence won't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So pray as you go as an app. And, and pray as when you, you go as an app. Yeah. When you have a prayer that you read that you you like, is it, are you able to like share it with other folks or text it to other people? That kind yeah. Of so there's a way that you can, there's a way you can send it out. Um, yeah. it's So there's a prayer of the day and mm-hmm. then, and then there's some other little, I usually just do the prayer of the day. And like I said, it's about 13 minutes. Cool. Um, another app that I love is the Calm app. So it's just meditation. Yeah. Uh, and there's different, you know, there's different time, three minutes, five minutes, 10, 20. Um, uh, there, uh, so there are ministry architects um, has a lot of resources like on our website and Facebook page. So especially for youth leaders um, uh, or leaders, ministry leaders, I think is a good a good place to find very, very practical things about um, there's a consultant that I feel like everybody in the world knows, Stephanie Carroll, who posted (laughs) for the first week. She posted um, really practical things like things you can do in your children's ministry online, things you can do in your youth ministry online, things, you know, the five tips to a better virtual worship service on Sunday. Um, So, yeah, so, yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good, a good spot to find things. I know Youth Specialties uh, has created some things for folks, um, like a little toolbox for people. I think it's called, I can't remember what it's called. I just saw the email, but it's a, it's a toolbox that people can, um, can, can engage with. Um, And I think if there's, if there's networks of youth, ministers um that you've maybe never reached out to this might be a really good time start a little yeah. support group of, <laughs> of youth ministers that are nearby and just like hey how's it going how you doing um, right. what, are, what are you doing can we join forces together you know that might get kids excited to know that there's going to be other kids from another church on the zoom call yeah that's a um, good idea i love that so like, yeah, this, has been, this has been awesome um as we come to the end of our time here, I love I love these sort of takeaways, you know, like, hey, you know, uh, don't set these wild goals for what you're going to do during this time. Like, uh, be realistic with that. Take a moment. Use this prayer app, things like this. What sort of benediction or blessing might you have to offer those who are listening? So, you know, let's imagine the youth minister who's been in ministry for a number of years uh, is throwing this curveball and they're just trying to figure it out, but they're also, you know, quarantined themselves and they have their own anxiety and fears. Um, but they're trying to be there for other folks. What, what benediction might you offer those folks? Hmm. Breathe, stop, pause. You don't have to do everything. You can't do everything that, even the smallest amount that you do, God is going to bless it. So may you be, may you find peace. May you find a little sliver of light in the midst of all the chaos. 
And may you remember that you are worth it, even when you don't feel like it. And you don't have to set these great, great things to do great things for God. Amen. Akila, thank you. I was just caught up in the moment trying to breathe myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Justin. Yeah, no, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your insight and your experience. Uh, I appreciate your holy work that you're doing in Long Island. And um, I hope that we get to see each other in person uh, sometime sooner than later. But until then, we will remain socially distant. (laughs) (laughs) A blessing to your family, your sixth grader and your eighth grader. All right, Akila. Well, thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. And I really do appreciate your time. Take care. Uh, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Missing Voices podcast. I hope that this focus on youth ministry in the midst of this pandemic uh, was helpful to you in some way. I hope that there was maybe even just one moment during this last episode, maybe the benediction or, or, or the signs of hope, uh, something that was a gift to you and maybe helps you carry out your work uh, that you have before you. You can follow what we're up to at missingvoices.flagler.edu, missingvoices.flagler.edu, and we hope that you are well. The work you are doing is incredibly important, and we want to figure out ways to be a part of that with you. Take care.